When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Hey, this is Allison Kay, and we are so delighted that you took time to join us today. We've got some great content for you, and that is the topic. The topic is content. And we all know that to build our businesses, we need to make sure that we have messages that resonate with people. But what separates content clutter from just being noise to being delightful meaning. So I have invited Ben Worthen to come speak with you today. He's the CEO of Message Lab. Ben, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell everybody the delightful things you do in the world. So I I would start by saying the the core belief in the mission that we have at Message Lab is um, we just believe that companies talk wrong. They, they try to sell all the time. And, you know, if you look at a billboard on the bus that's driving by or an advertisement on your TV or even those banner ads that are interrupting every word, every online experience you have, you know, it's usually some derivative of like buy now, 10% off coupon, here's a product, that kind of thing. And in just using myself as an example, like when I want to buy something, you know, telling me information about a product is it's, it's helpful. I want that, but I want to buy, I don't know, 5% of my time, 10% of the time. And in most of the time, I just want to be, you know, entertained or I want to be informed. I want to learn something. I want to, I want to, I want to spend time with some idea that I care about or that found that's, that's, that's valuable to me. And it, and so Companies, for the most part, sure, you know, if you cast wide enough net, you're going to catch a fish. But for the most part, it's just throwing noise out there, as you said in your intro. And, and it's just making things that people have to pay, that people have to like train themselves to, to ignore. Right. And, and, and for us, the thought is like, well, what if you just did something that was valuable to someone? What if you, what if you made stuff? What if you communicated? What if you talked in a way that people chose to pay attention to? You know, what if, what if the things that you put in front of them weren't things that people turn away from or go get up to get a snack um, or, or, or install software in their computer so they literally don't have to see it? Um, but if instead they were like, oh, you know, that, that's helpful to me. That's valuable. I want to I wanna spend my time with that. And, and so that's what we try to do. You know, we try to work with our clients. So, I, so that my background, and I know we can talk about this, but I was a reporter at the Wall Street Journal for a long time. And honestly, the most formative experience that I had was having editors stand over my 
my shoulder and say to me like, well, why does anybody care? You know? And I'm like, well, this is, this is so cool. And they would say, no, 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 be sharper, you know, be stronger. What's the point of view? Why, why now? Why, why can you make someone care about it? And, and, and there's no reason that you have to have had that kind of training in order to sort of come to a place of why does someone care? But, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the ideas that you as an organization care about find the people who care about the same ideas and just curate a conversation between the two of you uh, about things that everybody cares about. And what we believe fundamentally is that if people become customers of your ideas, or if they become repeat customers of your ideas, then they're just much more likely over the long term to become a customer of your product. I love that. And I, I do want to talk about this piece of, so I'd like to give our listeners a website early, just in case they happen to be near a computer. And it is messagelab.com. So pretty, pretty simple and easy to find. I think it is intriguing about your background as a journalist and what you do, because I spend a lot of time in the marketing community, talk with a lot of marketers, brand experts and things. And this idea of having customers be in love with your ideas. And I think the way that you approach things for your clients is a slightly different starting point. I, I think we, we talk a lot about when it comes to any kind of content, because we shouldn't just be pumping content out for content. There's got to be mm-hmm. that ever popular ROI, the ever popular, you know, uh, return. And so is, tell us the different kinds of content that you are creating or, or partnering to create with your clients. Um, because like, my impression is, is it's not all about just that immediate conversion factor. So tell us about the way you kind of create that content and then how you do measure the ROI on it. Yeah. And it's a little complex. Um, and, and that's part of the challenge, but it's also part of what makes it fun. Then um, you can't give us the solution yeah. in like two no, minutes. No, 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 I'm going to. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Take, so that we can take, all. It will take all two minutes. Yeah, we three. can all build our yeah. businesses to the nth degree in, in two minutes. I know it's more complex, but yeah, give us the. Yeah. So, so let's start with an example. And, and this is, I was having a conversation not that long ago with a guy and, and just asking him about a, a product that he recently bought. And he said, he bought a tent. Um, and he, and the reason he bought a tent was because he was planning this camping trip with his friends, right? And he wanted to go, wanted to go camping. And I was like, well, that's a, it's a great example because if you think about it, you know, if you put yourself in this guy's shoes, what's he thinking about? You know, I mean, when he, he's communicating with his friends, he's spending all his time and energy trying to figure out how do you have the, the best possible camping trip that you can, can have, right? And, and he's probably spending, a really small amount of time thinking about what tent should I buy? Um, you know, and so he's probably thinking about like, where do we want to go? You know, what kind of experience do we want to have? Do we want to go to the mountains? Do we want to go to the lake? Um, what are we going to eat, you know, on this trip? You know, um, what kind of physical condition do I need to get in to go on a multiple multi-day, um, you know, hiking trip, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, and, and then again, there's that five, 5%, moment of what tent should I buy? Now, let's just pretend for instance, there's one company out there that has, you know, just like a website with like a list of tents and, and somebody else who is sort of realizing that the way that the people you're trying to reach your customers think about, you know, the problems, how do I have the best camping trip is not through the narrow lens of your product. It's always broader, you know, and even if the thing that you're selling is a direct solution to the problem that they have, 
you know, they're still thinking about the problem as they experience it. How do I have the best camping trip and mm-hmm. not just what tent do I buy? And so, you know, in this, this, this example, there's no, re- if, if you're the company that makes the tent, you, you have broad permission to talk to this guy about, you know, where to go camping, how to pack for the, how to plan the perfect camping trip, you know, um, best trails in the Northeast. Um, you know, there's a range of, of things that you could have that are going to be relevant to this guy through the whole duration of the three, four months where he's planning a trip and not merely in that little micro moment when he's thinking that, okay, I got to go to the store and buy a tent. So uh, now, so, so what we do from a creative standpoint is we help our clients think about, okay, well, what are those stories that you can tell? And then how do we, how do we, you know, the bring to life that story of Allison's perfect camping trip? Right. And now you're, now you get to go camping too. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, um, but then, yeah. So then, so then the other thing is most of the time that person is not going to want to read the story about, you know, five, you know, three, five amazing hiking trails in the Northeast and then get to the bottom of it and like click the link to buy a tent. Right. Now, um, there are like, you know, you, you throw enough coupons into Facebook, 10% off a tent and somebody is going to click and somebody is going to, you know, directly go from that ad in Facebook for 10% off a tent and, and buy the tent. Um, we can measure that, but just because we can measure it and we can show that we spent a million dollars on Facebook ads and we sold $2 million worth of tents, it doesn't necessarily mean that that was the best use of our million dollars. Um, you know, it just means that we can measure it. So the challenge for us is if we are trying to create content that is like overtly not designed to sell you something, right? Like it is the value comes if you read the article and you're like, oh my God, that was, I feel so inspired to go camping, you know, or, um, you know, oh, now I know I have to vary my workout routine or in the case of a different product, like, you know, big software, you know, if you now have a better sense of how a peer solved an organizational problem, you know, that they were experiencing that was inhibiting their company's growth, like, you know, no one in their right mind reads that organizational dynamics article and then like clicks the link to buy a million dollars worth of software, right? Like people don't work that way. Organizations don't work that way. So why are we, why are we trying to measure that, you know, as success for, you know, a piece of content? Um, So what we have tried to do is try to figure out how do we articulate a system of value where you can play that same data-based game as those Facebook ad people, but do so in a way that's purposeful to what you're trying to do. And and we look at a few things. The the first thing is, you know, I think I used that analogy of the idea store earlier, where it's, you know, if people become repeat customers of your ideas, they're more likely over time to, you know, become a customer of your product. Well, that's something that you can measure. You know, it takes longer. It's not instantaneous, but can you show through data that, you know, people who, you know, come to you, read three pieces of content are more likely to become leads than people who haven't, you know, or, or can you show like, so I'll an example for one of our clients, you know, we were able to show through, again, through data that, you know, the people who had read content were four times more likely to become a qualified lead than people who hadn't. Um, we were also able to show that if you'd read a single piece of content, there's only like a 1% chance that you went on, actually a less than 1% chance that you went on to become a lead. But by the time you had read three pieces, there was a 9% chance 
that he would go on to become a lead. And it went up from there. You know, mm-hmm. it was like 10% for four pieces and 11% for five. It was actually spookily linear uh, when we looked at the data. Um, you know, by that kind of analysis, I mean, sure, it takes time, but it sort of, it, it is more consistent with the kind of value you're trying to create from content, which is, can we engage people can we encourage them to come back? Can we begin to influence them in some way while still being able to show some sort of, like that's a slide that you could go to your CEO and at the end of the year say, oh, what did you do? Well, you know, we created this content and, you know, we generated, you know, 15,000 people who read our content later went on to become a qualified lead and they closed at four times the rate of people who hadn't seen our content. You know, you, you get, oh, nice work. You know, when you have something like that, the alternative without data, and which is frankly what happens in most cases of the content is like, well, what did you do? And you're like, we made some stuff and we felt really good about it, <laughs> you know? And, and that's not really going to, you know, win, win that argument or that fight for, you know, more budget to create this work, even if you really believe that it's successful in helping. No, I really appreciate the, appreciate that, um, the, the data insights there, because I think that is the piece. We all know we need to be creating content and, and meaningful content, but making sure that we can somehow track or, or trace. I, I want to talk about, you had shared this phrase, you know, impact the world. Mm-hmm. And so I can hear in, in you and in the conversations we had about that. It's, it can't just be about selling a product. It, it's got to be bigger and broader. Do you have any, any clients that um, are more aspirational nonprofit that really um, or B Corp that really want their content to talk about how they impact the world? Yeah, we do. Um, and, and I think, you know, for instance, we work with an education nonprofit that's trying to reform uh, the way high school in the U.S. runs. The, the fairly ambitious task. Yeah. Um, you know, and, um, but I would say what we try to do with them is honestly, it's the same, it's the same formula that we try to do with our clients who are trying to sell a product, which is um, don't talk about yourself. Don't talk about the, the impact I mean, don't talk about how awesome you are, you know, Um, talk about the kinds of things that are going to help the people who are part of your community or aspirationally part of your community, the people that you are trying to reach. And there can such in this nonprofit's case, they want to reach students, they want to reach educators, and they want to reach reach parents, right? The different constituencies that are going to help make an impact with education reform. Right. Well, so what do, what do, what do those people want? Well, it turns out, I mean, and, and this is so silly, but when, you know, we've talked to hundreds of people about what do they want, you know, from content, like what's most valuable to them. And, you know, we've talked to small business owners, Airbnb hosts, um, VPs of engineering at 100 person web-based companies, you know, like you would is run the gamut. Everybody wants the same thing. Um, people want to understand how someone like them solved a problem that they can relate to. And, and, and they want to have information data that can help them make better decisions. And, and if you apply those rub- that rubric, you know, uh, in the case of this education nonprofit, it, it means that your content is going to be different for a student than it's going to be 
for an educator. Um, you know, as a, as a parent, I know this just intuitively, you know, um, and, um, but, but it, but it makes sense, you know, a relatable story for a student is, I mean, first of all, it's probably on TikTok, right? (laughs) Um, But, but it's, but it's a story about a student or it's a story about a school told through the lens of a student, whereas a, a story for an administrator or a parent it's told through the lens of a parent, you know, and, and, and even if it's a profile of a student, it's, it's, it's written in a different way, you know, it's crafted in a different way. Um, and it's probably not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, I live with two teenagers, so I've got one that is extreme TikTok and one that is extreme YouTube. So, <laughs> and they consume content very differently and respond right. to different things. So you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Hey, Ben, let's take a step back. I want to get yeah. to know you just a little bit better on, on your, the, the, career stops you've made um, before becoming CEO of Message Lab. So just give us a little bit of your background. You said uh, you were with Wall Street Journal, but you've done some other great things in in your uh, professional yeah, life. I, um, so I did. I started out as a journalist and eventually made my way to the Wall Street Journal. And um, what's funny and what's, what's sort of informative for this part of my career is, um, you know, I would be, I was coming to the tech industry and, um, you know, but my audience was, you know, the Wall Street Journal readership, which like, you know, you could pejoratively say it doesn't even know how to turn on a computer. Right. Um, and, 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 and so there was this constant need to be a translator and I would get, I would have executives from, you know, every single tech company you could imagine come in and they would, you know, try to tell me what was most interesting to them. And usually it was talking about the latest whiz bang gadget thing that they had. Right. And I would sit there and I'd be like, Oh man, you know, nobody cares. Um, and in the, in the challenge that I then had was to try to figure out like, okay, well, how do I, how do I tell a story about what's happening in the technology industry, whether it's about a company or a trend or some sort of impact, you know, it's happening culturally and, and frame it in a way that's going to resonate, you know, with the readership that we have at the Wall Street Journal. Um, I left the journal um, and I ended up at a VC firm called Sequoia Capital. And, you know, and, and the first thing that I realized was that I had this overdeveloped sense of story. I knew how to do all of these things like that translator role. Um and I had no idea how to do anything else when it came to marketing. Like, it's like, you know, I actually really early on at, not at Sequoia, but um, at my next job, I remember the very first time I was put in charge of doing a, it was a marketing agency for a presentation for a client. And, um, you know, and I shared my deck with, with some colleagues and the next morning I walk in and like, everybody I know and care about is around a table waiting for me to have a slides intervention, you know, it's just like, <laughs> slide you know, intervention. It's just like, you don't know how to put together a presentation, you know? Um, and, and so, you know, I, I sort of look at the next phase of my career post the journal as, as being um, one of, of developing appreciation for marketing skills and in acquiring those skills myself. Like, you know, it, 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 I, I didn't appreciate it when I was a reporter, but every single time someone was coming in and talking to me about what their company did, they were finger quote on brand. You know, they had, they like a lot of really smart people had gotten together and workshopped, you know, a message that had a lot of rigor 
And, and like, it was easy for me as a reporter to be like, Oh my God, no one cares. But like, you know, I didn't have an appreciation for that rigor, you know? And, and, and so now, you know, as I have gained that, but held on to the journalism part of it, you know, part of what we are trying to do at Message Lab is run that messaging, that tight, rigorous messaging, just through that filter of why does anybody care? You know, we don't want to lose it because it's important and it's going to be the thing that makes this cool journalistic stuff that we can do for our clients, not just be art. Um, but, but, you know, I had to gain that. I had to learn that, you know, and then similarly, you know, uh, Message Lab is a client services business. We have clients and um, journalism, not so much a client services business. <laughs> you know, when you are a reporter, honestly, the only thing that matters is how good is the story. And, and sure, I liked it better when the people who I talked to liked the story and felt good about it. Um, but it didn't really matter at the end of the day. Well, you know, in client services, if you are just trying to, you know, make the best product that you possibly can. Um, but you don't worry about things like, did the client really like working with you? <laughs> and did they have a great experience? And did they really like it? Um, you know, that's another, that's just a, that's a quick path to failure. And so I had to learn that lesson uh, a little bit too, along the way. Well, and those are the things that we, we like to talk about is, is what were some of those, those leadership lessons that um, when you, when you got started with message lab, you know, what were some of the challenges in growing the business and, and what were some of the things that were on your mind as concerns? Yeah. You know, I, I think um, for me, just given my background, the, the challenge has always been, um, you know, amazingly, it hasn't been the product or the vision. You know, I think we have a very strong sense of what we're trying to do. We know how to make it. Um, and, and, and increasingly, I think, I think um, time is on our side. I think, I think this notion of people having more, more power to choose what they pay attention to is so obvious and has become so obvious that people, marketers are, like actively searching for alternatives to traditional marketing. You know, they mm -hmm. know that the old playbook doesn't work and they want something new. And when they tend to see the work that we do, people, I think, instinctively have a reaction like, oh yeah, no, this is good. I want some of that. So, so we've been really fortunate in the sense that, um, you know, people have found us um, and, and we've been able to do good work for some really great clients. Um, I've personally always just thought that the running the business side of things is harder and more challenging. Um, it's certainly, you know, I, I, if you, if you sort of take stock of my skill set, it certainly falls more into the creative camp, right? The, the, the making content, the having the vision for what the content is and what it can do. Um, and, you know, process and stuff like that isn't exactly, you know, my strength or my comfort area. So, you know, learning how to scale, but not grow. Uh, or instead of just merely growing, you know, it's something that's been a constant challenge for, for me personally. Um, you know, and then, and then other things like, um, like I, like really coming to love failure, like all kinds of failure, big failure. Ooh, nice statement failure. coming to love failure. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those things where, um, 
you know, it's, it's like, it's that classic interview question, like, tell me about a time that you failed. Right? <laughs> and, um, and, and, I, and I've always sort of thought on one hand, it was like, well, you know, like on one hand, I can't really think of a time that I failed. On another hand, I can think of like a million times that I failed merely today, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I think what we've adopted is this mindset of everything is iterative and everything is a test. And, um, and if you, and if you, in, in, in everything's an experiment and like the nature of experimentation is, is that if you're not failing, you're not experimenting hard enough, you know, um, it, like you can't commit to a path of constant experimentation and expect that everything you do is going to be wildly successful. This is like definitionally not the way it should be. Uh, so I, I think what we have tried to do is accept that failure is part of the process, embrace failure, but try to structure in such a way where we're learning the lessons from it. You know, I mean, the thing that's bad is repeating your failures over and over again. Um, and, and so we are, we are just trying to make sure both in the work that we do, um, understanding that we're going to make a whole lot of stuff for each of our clients and not all of it is going to work, but, but we can put in place the instrumentation so that we understand why something worked. We know to do more of the things that do work and we can identify the things that didn't work and we can have a hypothesis for why they didn't, you know, do that. And then, and then to try to apply that same mentality to the business, because, you know, spoiler alert, you know, not everything that we do at Message Lab is successful. <laughs> we try, um, but, you know, sometimes it's about making it right as opposed to getting it right the first time. Well, where is Message Lab going next? I, I like to talk to my guests about what's the, what's the vision for the next, you know, two, three years? Where, where are you going? You talked a little bit about um, scale and, but also, you know, making sure that it's, I have the impression you want to make sure it's manageable. So yeah. Uh, you Where know, are you going I, next? So, I mean, I, I can I can paint a broad picture, and I think you're right. The I, I think the the things that we feel are opportunities to apply this kind of you know storytelling, this kind of way of trying to engage with your customers or potential customers, there it's really somewhat limitless in terms of how you could, the, the, the different ways to, or it's nascent, right? There's so much territory ahead of us. Um, I, I'll tell you a couple of the things that I'm really interested in. Um, I, I think increasingly, and this is what we're trying to do now, to go back to the first thing you said in the beginning of this conversation about the sort of noise and signal ratio when it comes to the amount of content in the world. Like the world doesn't really need any more content. Um, what we really need is a higher concentration of good content. And, 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 and as there's more of a proliferation of content. I think one of the things that we believe is that the experience is going to matter more and more. Meaning, um, are, are you taking steps to make sure that the experience that somebody has with your content, the way it looks, uh, the way it engages and the way it interacts, the, the way it reaches them and finds them, you know, those aspects of content creation, not the word doc that we go back and forth on editing for the words, but, but, but the experience that someone's going to have is, is sort of the next place to, for a premium approach, right? We need the things that we make to be clear to someone at a glance, and this is special. This is, of all the things that you could choose to pay attention to, this is the one. Um, so I think that's an area that we expect to spend more time on. Um, data experiences is something that I think um, I'm personally really excited about. Um, can we um, make more um, sort of proprietary experiences built around data 
you know, with some interactivity so people can personalize it. But then not just make cool experiences, cool infographics and that sort of thing, but design entire campaigns around it so that you as someone who is making it, um, you have a you have motions that you can go through to promote it, to build an audience, to get to habit train people to come back and check this thing that you've built um, and, and know that they're going to get, you know, information that can help them make better decisions every single time they do. And then, you know, um, I'll just sort of throw one last thing in there, which is um, content can do a lot of things. And the one that most people think of is, you know, demand gen, right? Can we drive sales or can we move people into our pipeline because they've engaged with our content and then Mm -hmm. checked out or given us their name? But it's not just that, you know, content, especially if you have the right infrastructure in place and are thoughtful about what you're making and particularly tagging it well so that you know what you've made can be a great source of insights. Um, Every piece of content is an idea. Every piece of idea is a topic. Um, you know, it's, it's encapsulating, uh, encapsulating a message somehow, and you can use content to message test. You can, you can test ideas, you can test topics, you can test framing and, and you can, and you can find out and compare, you know, again, if you've structured it like a smart experiment, you know, how did my audience find, how did they, how did they respond to this idea versus that idea? How did they respond to this framing versus that framing? Or if you want to get even more detailed about it, how did, how did one of my audiences, how, did the, how, did, how do CEOs versus CHROs or um, soccer moms versus millennial dads, you know, how, how, do, how do those different audiences respond differently to different messages? Um, and if you do it that way, content becomes a source of insights, it becomes a source of insight about your audience, it becomes a source of insight about your own internal communication efforts. Um, and, and you can take that those insights and the information gleaned from it and the analysis of it and share it back to the rest of the organization in order to you know, communicate more effectively with audiences, with sub-audiences and so forth. And so uh, that's something that's really interesting to me is sort of like turning the way people think about the value from content on its head and making it less about a transaction and more about learning. Hey, Ben, I'm all with you. If you can convince the world to not make me give up my personal data to get content, because you're, you're right. I, I often turn away before I've even got the content because I have to really, really want it to give my data. But to your point, right. Yeah. If I get something from the company that is valuable, I'll go see if they've got more. I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll go see, okay, well, what else do they have in their resources? They're in their blog library or in whatever, you know, I'll, I'll do it on my own terms. And then I actually feel better about it because I'm seeking it out. So I, I definitely think this, there's so much in what you've said. We come up on our time very quickly on this uh, podcast. We want to know how should people reach out to you if they want to learn more? Where do they go? Yeah. So um, I think you mentioned earlier, Message Lab is the name of the company. And if you type Message Lab into Google or just go to messagelab.com, that's the best way to find them. Uh, I'm Ben at Message Lab. Super easy. I was the first one there. So I got the simplest email address. (laughs) Um, And if you go to LinkedIn, you can find either the company or you can just find me by typing Ben Worthen into LinkedIn. You can find me on Google too. Ben, thank you so much for sharing um, your insight. And thank you for being a CEO that was willing to have a wonderful conversation with us. Um, To our listeners, if Ben shared something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a copy of this episode or reach out to him direct and, and see how he can help you. 
Um, to my listening audience, uh, we like uh, reviews. So head over to Podchaser, your favorite podcast site, and tell us what you think. And as always, keep your eye on the future and always be disruptive. Ben, thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>